Okay. Um, I'm going to mostly talk this and not read this. I just made some notes, so every now and then I'll look down. Um, most of the time I write my 11th hour talk uh, because I'm smarter when I write, but you'll get the dumb version of me, I guess. Um, <clears throat> also, recently I've been doing uh, PowerPoint fancy. I've been having fun with PowerPoint, but you're not going to get any PowerPoint. Um, if, if I had a PowerPoint, um, I think what I would maybe show you is some paintings by Cezanne, because I love Cezanne, um, but also because of this quote about Cezanne from a friend of his, uh, the philosopher, the philosopher Maurice Merleau-Ponty, the French philosopher, who said, uh, to hold is to hold at a distance. And he was thinking of Cezanne, because Cezanne had this thing when, when, when he would paint, uh, he had a feeling about distance and having the right distance from an object. So if you picture some of his glorious um, still lives, you know, bowls of fruit, tables, knives, but also hillsides, um, and picture maybe before he painted, and picture somebody with the eye of a Cezanne trying to get that exact right distance from an object. And what would that distance be? You know, the, the exact right way to hold something that's somehow better than all other ways. Um, we could call this an imperial distance, the distance that's just perfect. Um, but I don't have uh, a PowerPoint. What I do have is this poem by County Cullen called Incident, and I think it's also about distance. It's about emotional distance. So I'd like to just read this poem, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit. Do, do you see the poem on the, the first page here on the left side? Incident. Once riding an old Baltimore, heart-filled, head-filled with glee, I saw a Baltimorean keep looking straight at me. Now I was eight and very small, and he was no whit bigger, and so I smiled, but he poked out his tongue and called me nigger. I saw the whole of Baltimore from May until December. Of all the things that happened here, that's all that I remember. How would you assess the emotional effectiveness of this poem? Anyone? Anna? We're hearing the answer in Spanish. Sorry? Baltimore disappeared before we had the word nigger. Baltimore disappeared. Anyone else? Just the emotional effectiveness, the emotional power of this poem. I don't know your name, sir. Oh, well, I can introduce myself later. No, I, I, I look upon this. This is a wound, and this is a scar that she still has. How would you assess the emotional effectiveness? I'm not asking for. What is very Super strong. 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 Can you give us a numerical scale? A numerical scale? <laughs> Are you a doctor? <laughs> they always ask you for how much pain you're in. And I always say, oh, God, it's so relative. No, how much pain is you in? <laughs> yes, sir. John. Passionless. Passionless. You feel this is a passionless poem. Yeah. Interesting. It's a he, by the way. County color is a he. Yes, ma'am. It feels like a collusion of opposites. It's like May, December, about the beauty and the sort of force of the word. Yeah. What's called? Those are the intentions. We can look for a moment at what the poem doesn't do. Does it repeat? Says it once, that's it. You know, like at the bank robbery poem. You get in, you do the job, you get out. Right? So it doesn't repeat. 
It doesn't shout. She's very tender suggesting in this talk refers to the Buddhist teaching of the three poisons. And as Carol outlined, and as you saw in the blurb, I kind of gave away my thunder. So the three, the three poisons are the three emotions that are said to be at the heart of all emotions. Now, you don't have to believe this. This is just a useful tool to consider for a moment. You know, this is a Tibetan Buddhist teaching. And like the three primary colors from which all other colors of light come from, it's believed that these are the three emotions from which all the range of, of emotion comes from. So uh, it's actually very, very simple. Uh, so you have passion, which could be anything that you want to draw in and draw near. Come here, passion. Um, aggression, go away. <laughs> Pretty simple. Come here, go away. Could be disgust or revulsion, anger. Um, but all of these things come under the heading of aggression. But before any of those particularities uh, arrived in you, it said that you just felt a feeling of go away. And then the third is ignorance. Which, which is maybe the most curious because we don't think there's any emotional energy in ignorance. We don't even think of it as an emotion. But ignorance is things that you just plain miss. You don't even see. You're indifferent to. But there is a tremendous energy of indifference, according to this teaching. But I, I think it, it'll bear out. Um, so those are the three uh, poisons. And, and we're going to kind of be working with those uh, today. Um, so part of the teaching is that you, you feel these things long before you get to thoughts, philosophies, even other feelings. These are the three ones you feel. Um, maybe you felt this uh, if you go back for a few minutes when you sat next down to whoever you sat next down to today. Maybe there was a feeling of passion, aggression, or ignorance. Maybe you have to look to the side of you to even know who you're sitting next to. That would be indifference. <laughs> Don't look and stare. Let's just be polite here. You know. <laughs> Think about how you chose your course uh, at the Iowa Summer Writing Festival. All right, so you go through some catalog, or maybe online, or maybe you talk to somebody in the office, and uh, you're probably sifting through 
you know, passion, aggression. You're probably looking for passion, something that you're attracted to. You know, I'm drawn to this, you know, therefore I'll take this course. And then, of course, you meet this teacher. And you sit down, oh, they look like that, oh, oh, they look like this, oh. Uh, and, you know, so you have these emotions, you know, and then, then you have the rest of the class. This happens all the time. And we can put this to great advantage as writers, especially the fact that it happens before we even think. If you believe the theory, which we're going to do together, you believe the theory for a morning. Um, because uh, we're always looking for ways to get to things that are beneath our thinking, or, or beyond, or beside, or deeper than thought. Um, so at the top of this page is a random list of subjects. Now, I don't know, maybe there's some deep-thinking psychologist who's going to inform me that it's not that random, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's random. I hope it's random for you. Maybe it's not random for me. Um, and uh, we're going to do an exercise together. And we're going to quickly go down this list. And first we're going to do it for passion. And you're going to put a plus sign. Does anybody have something to write with? So you can just mark it with a simple plus sign next to any one of these items that attract you. For some reason, you could write about this. You'd be interested, maybe, in writing about this. And don't spend too much time thinking about these, because don't even analyze it. Just, just put a plus sign next to any one of these things that jumps out, and I'll give you 60 seconds. I just said anything. Uh, sit, try to get seven. See if you can get seven. <laughs> Somebody's saying three. sitting around analyzing how you feel about shellac, did you? <laughs> it's kind of an interesting morning, isn't it? All right, so now we'll stop with that. And now we're going to go through the list again for aggression. Now, again, this doesn't have to be dramatic, but this is just any topic you, you prefer not writing about, that you'd be resistant toward writing about. And put a, a negative sign next to uh, any items that uh, you have any kind of uh, conflicting tension, uh, displeasure. It wouldn't be a good day if you were writing about this thing. Take a minute for that. As you're doing aggression, um, I think it's, it's important that we make a difference between uh, hating and loving to hate. Yeah. Okay, now we've seen poets who are these rant poets. You know, someone like Ginsburg or Baraka who wrote a poem called Somebody Blew Up America. And you may say, well, that's a very aggressive poem. It's actually a passionate poem because he loves to hate that. If only he had written about a subject he was resistant toward. You know, if only they did that a little more, um, you would have uh, something more like aggression. But so it's so the difference between loving to hate, wanting to rant, that's passion, folks, um, versus the reluctant witness, that's more like aggression, things that you have genuine difficulty going through, going into. Okay, so everybody's got a bunch of minus signs somewhere? Okay, so now the third one is indifference or ignorance. This is actually the easiest one. Go through the list and find anything that you didn't even look at before. Things you pass right over that just matter to you not, um, and put a zero next to those for indifference or ignorance.
how the heck did I ever overlook lavender? <laughs> That's a zero. <laughs> Fidel Castro. So I'll, I'll talk in a minute about how you might use this kind of an exercise. For now, it's just kind of fun to go through the list. It's even more fun to compare it. You know, maybe maybe you thought you knew someone well, but now you're shocked that they have passion for the Hubble Space Telescope. <laughs> you're shocked by that. That's really quite interesting. Um, one of the interesting uh, features about this, though, is that uh, what may be passionate for you Someone else might associate with aggression or you know, resistance, you know, go away. Or and a third person might might associate that with ignorance. Let's take, for example, yard sales. Perhaps you love yard sales. Is there anyone for whom yard sales was a passionate subject? Wonderful. This is something that'd be interesting to write about. Yeah, yard sales. Can't wait. Anybody anybody uh, put a negative sign next to yard sales? Perhaps you were dragged there by your parents. Oh my God, another yard. Oh, I have to put the ticket on it. I don't want to do a yard sale. And did anybody just drive right by the yard sale? Who put it up for? What an interesting world we have. So, so uh, not only not only is it different for different people, but we contain all of those emotions. You know, you know. I'm sure you could have an experience at a yard sale, Nikki, that will make you aggressive toward that, and then you'll get over it and finally be indifferent, you know, after years of therapy. But that's one of the advantages, is just the emptiness, utter emptiness, ultimately, of, of any emotion. You know, we have all of those emotions available to us. So it's nice to have them, but it's also nice to play around with them, which we're going to do actually later on. Um, you know, and I, but before arriving at, at this connection of this Tibetan teaching to my writing teaching, I was in front of a classroom in, in, a, in a college in Oklahoma, and it was a writing class, and I was saying to them how any subject under the sun is heaven for somebody and hell for somebody else, anything. And at the time, we heard somebody in a pair of high heels clomping down the hallway. And I said, see now, for some people, that's wonderful. I mean, in New York City, there are women who have these shoe habits. There are women who, who, who saw off the pinky toe to get into the Manola blondes that they wear in the Sex and the City show. So, so, you know, that's passion for someone. And for someone else, that's just a bad way to spend a day. And then other people just don't, didn't even hear the high heels walking down the hall. I mean, any subject under the sun. You know, serial killers love what they do. example of ignorance, because I want to come back to that. We, we don't think that indifference could be powerful. I, I want to give you an example of one of my favorite poems. Uh, some of you may know this poem. Do you see the Russell Edson poem called The Large Thing? This to me is a masterpiece of indifference. You find one line here that looks urgent or passionate. The large thing. A large thing comes in. Go out, large thing says someone. The large thing goes out and comes in again. Go out, large thing, and stay out, says someone. The large thing goes out and stays out. Then that same someone who has been ordering the large thing out begins to be lonely and says, come in, large thing. But when the large thing is in, that same someone decides it would be better if the large thing would go out. Go out, large thing, says the same someone. The large thing goes out. Oh, why did I say that, says the someone, who begins to be lonely again. But meanwhile, the large thing has come back in anyway. Good. I was just about to call you back, says the same someone to the large thing. 
Now, Russell Edson has many books. He is a celebrated poet. Um, and uh, it's just that this doesn't seem like the poetry they were trying to teach us, maybe here at the Iowa Writing Festival. I mean, a large thing comes in. Where is the sharpness, the precision, the detail, the images, the sounds? You know, this almost is anti-poetry. This is the most lethargic lines <laughs> The large thing goes out. I mean, very, I mean, you know, they didn't want to even spend a two-syllable word on something. And yet, it has a strange kind of effect. We remember this poem more than somebody's traumatic childhood poem. Although, incident is a very memorable poem as well. Um, uh, anybody think they know what the large thing is about? Can I hazard a guess? Yes? No, for me, it seems like it's about a relationship. A relationship. Perhaps you've had a relationship. This is why you Never tell. Never tell. Yes, sir? Emotional back. So the large thing could be a, a, a memory. But then by the end, the large he wants the large thing to come in. Can't let it go. John? There are no large things. There are no large things. That's what the poem is about. <laughs> you see it as a philosophical poem. I was once teaching this poem uh, to some undergraduates at NYU, and there was a, a very shy girl in the back that suddenly blushed red and said, oh my god, it's sex. you might do is, and I've given this in classes before, go to the ones you put zeros next to that you would never write about and, you know, dull subjects. Actually, there's a great essay by William Matthews entitled Dull Subjects. I would recommend it uh, to everyone. Uh, he, he says dull subjects are the best subjects to write about because you know, for that very reason, we approach it with emptiness and things come up that surprise us. The only thing that can come is a surprise. That's what he's so take one of these dull subjects and write about it, but write about it dully. Make every sentence boring. Make every word a one-syllable word. Use the boring word in the boring piece of writing like seven times. And see what happens. And the second you try to be good, a flag should go up. Don't try to be good. Be dull. Be boring. Um, like Edson. So that, that's one exercise. Just, just see what happens. I, I do this in class all the time. It's the most interesting reading we have. People come up with these statements like, I hate my pantry. <laughs> one kid hasn't wrote anything interesting, wrote about his bed. His bed for, to him was a dull subject. I feel sorry, but um, he, had, he had two more times that he needed to use the word. I, I, he was a very dutiful student. and. He was told to use the word seven times, and he got to the last line. He was running out of time. And then he just wrote, the bed is the bed. 
of just the teaching of the three poisons, the fact that all emotions are equal, uh, can help us in our writing, especially when uh, we're looking for distance. If all emotions are equal, then I would think we could take one subject and write it in terms of another and have just as much emotion. Actually, often what it does is it unlocks emotion. And I just call this emotion switching. And all the rest of the poems on the sheet are examples of uh, emotion switching. And I'd like to read a few of them. Uh, here's Sharon Old, Sex with, Without Love. Um, here's, a, you know, this, I take it to, to Sharon Old is, is not a very good idea. Um, but it would be too easy to condemn it. It would be too obvious. So instead, she writes about it with passion. Actually, it's an ode uh, to, to those who have sex without love. Um, and let's see how it goes, sex without love. How do they do it? The ones who make love without love. Beautiful as dancers, gliding over each other like ice skaters over the ice. Fingers hooked inside each other's bodies. Faces red as steak, wine. Wet as the children at birth whose mothers are going to give them away. How do they come to the, come to the, come to the, God, come to the still waters and not love the one who came there with them. Light rising slowly as steam off their joint skin. These are the true religious, the purists, the pros, the ones who will not accept a false messiah. Love the priest instead of the God. They do not mistake the lover for their own pleasure. They are like great runners. They know they are alone with the road surface, the cold, the wind, the fit of their shoes, their overall cardiovascular health. Just factors, like the partner in the bed, and not the truth, which is the single body alone in the universe against its own best time. So again, switching the emotion, I would say. Now, I'm, I didn't interview Sharon Holds about this poem. She's not going to talk very personally, but I think in switching the emotion, what she's done is she's unlocked it. Because how she feels in particular is actually not important. You know, your opinions, your emotions are not important to the reader. The reader, the reader doesn't know you. They may never meet you. Um, and the only thing that's important is emotional power. And I would just suggest that she got the kind of distance by switching um, aggression for passion. Um, and I think she, maybe she got both by, by doing it. Let's take a look at a couple others. Here's, here you are on the back of the sheet. Michael Blumenthal. I still remember that when this poem appeared in the New York era. Me, my writing friends and I, we just passing it around to one another. We just were so admiring of it. And, and I think what, it's probably safe to say what you have is passion written about as indifference. Uh, but see what you think. Here you are. <clears throat> it's such a relief to see the woman you love walk out the door some night, where it's 10 o'clock and you need your eight hours of sleep, and one glass of wine has been more than enough. And as for lust, well, you can live without it most days. And you're glad, too, the Ukrainian masseuse you see every Wednesday is not in love with you and has no plans to be, for it is the pain in your back you need relief from most. Not that ambiguous itch, and the wild successes of your peers no longer bother you, nor do your unresolved religious cravings or the general injustice of the world. Now, there's very little, in fact, that bothers you these days when you turn first to the obituary, second to the stock market, then, after a long pause, the book review. You are becoming a good citizen. You do your morning exercises, count your accumulated small blessings, thank the Lord that there's a trolley just outside your door your girlfriend can take back home in her own bed. And here you are, it is morning, you are alone, every little heartbeat is yours to cherish, the future is on fire with nothing but its own kindling, and whatever is burning in its flames, it isn't you. And now you will take a shower and it's <laughs> Naughty man. <laughs> now, I don't know, maybe I 
was overdoing it with my platonic meaning of it. I think it just wants to be indifferent. And yet, can you think about a poem? If I gave you an assignment and you had to include the phrase, it is morning, you are alone, every little heartbeat is yours to cherish, the future is on fire with nothing but its own kindling. I mean, if I gave you that to write about, could you do it with indifference? It just doesn't seem indifferent. You know, so he's taking passionate subjects like love, but also professional jealousy. That's pretty hot. And he's writing it all as indifference. And I think that's where the poem gets that kind of power, you know, the kind of space that he can step back from. I think what happens to us is that we get so attached to our emotions, we're so earnest that we're so earnest that uh, you know we write it straight and you know, we kind of prosecute our emotional agenda and we kind of solidify that emotion and you know, I think we distance our reader. Because then there's kind of no space for the reader to enter into. You know, but we create a little emotional space and suddenly this is interesting now. We play. So here's Angelo Verga. Nobody reads this guy, but I do. Um, <coughs> Body in New Jersey, monopolist and woman. This is, I would say, aggression rendered again as indifference. She was decapitated and her hands cut off by a sharp blade. There were no other cuts or bruises on her body, and she had been in the leg for at least seven and at most ten days. That's what the autopsy said. Her extrapolated height and weight, five feet nine and 150 pounds. The hair on her torso, light brown. And though the clothes she wore echoed, shorts, t-shirt, strap, sandals, those of a woman missing from a neighboring state, the lieutenant in Belvedere County said she definitely wasn't the same woman who'd been missing in New York for 24 days, having walked off, it was thought, alone. We categorically rule that out, Dennis Cherico explained. These women are not the same. Birthmarks don't change. We have two very different and totally unrelated cases here. Besides, we tried. The head don't fit the neck. <laughs> the FBI agent says, great. <laughs> it's, it's proof. I mean, it's, it's precise in the violence, in the brutality. The details are all here, and yet they're rendered, I think, with indifference. This is more like police blotter indifference. Are we saying something about the way Chicago police collect bodies? Yeah, no, I mean, people who work in law enforcement are around death and life. You get these sort of done result, and sometimes you make jokes about it. Yeah. But the emotional the effect of the poem, even though, you know, okay, so indifference, ignorance, numbness, I put numbness in there, I think you pass over. Um, but the emotional effect of the poem isn't numbing. So again, you know, it's, it's this emotion switching, we're calling it, or, or leveraging emotion. Maybe that's a little fancier to say that. All right, so here's another one, uh, B.J. Ward, White Trash. I would call this um, passion written as aggression. Um, white Trash. It was something like love that called my mother up at 3 a.m. to rise for the star ledger, deliver the papers to the paper deliverers, her Chevy truck rumbling down Route 31, passing the same cops, the same delivery trucks heading northbound. It is something like love that made that memory part of my history. How many other moments do I have to pull hard on to remember, like pulling a pipe through swamp water to eat it? Yet that comes so easily, and now I can say it was love that put potatoes and spam on the table. And it is love that makes me cringe at the term white trash because potatoes sometimes were all we could afford. And how we dressed is how we had to dress. And I watched TV a lot because everyone was working or sleeping off the work. And all the money we got, we paid to other white folks who weren't white trash because they don't use car lots or worked as loan officers. And even though I am the only one in the family who even went to college or graduate school or is a professor and author and distinguished fellow, I am still a dopey student of this world and love my family and how hard they work and still work, but really work then, just to be called white trash while giving me the wings of encouragement 
and day-old shelf bread in my soup to make it and write this poem, which I write because I love them and love them deeply. Old, no good for nothing, jagged tooth, white, white, white trash that I motherfucking am. So if he had stayed earnest, if it had stayed a love song and an ode, uh, I think P.J. Ward's a good enough poet to make that work as well, but look what he did. You know, look at the aggression in it. I think maybe uh, take a minute. Uh, we have some time and take a few questions. There's another poem to look at, but uh, maybe it would be a good time to stop. And anybody have any questions or comments? Or anything you can say? Yes, sir. Um, near the beginning of your talk, you said there were only two. In your opinion, there were only two questions worth asking, and one seemed to be, "How would you assess the emotional impact of this?" Is that one of them? Yeah. One? You didn't get to. How did they do it? Okay. These are the writerly questions. They're the only questions worth asking if you were right. I think they were the only questions ever worth asking. The, the, the readerly questions are questions that uh, Mrs. Crabtree, your AP English teacher, will quiz you about. They will quiz you about the uh, uh, social importance of the message. They will quiz you about the deep meaning. They will quiz you about the symbols. They will quiz you about the literary techniques that are used. Uh, these are all fine facts. They're all things that uh, you begin to master, in fact, as a writer. But uh, really, when, when you get around writers, what they talk about is the emotional effect of a piece of writing, and they talk about how they did it. And I think how they did it is, is maybe maybe that's what invites in, you know, their biography. You know, BJ was trying to write about that poem for ten years, and finally he did it. He did it by finding a new emotion. You know, Frank McCord, who I knew, uh, tried several times to handle his ashes. How did he do it? Two things happened: his mom died, and he found the humor. You know, he found the emotion. So you know all of those, you know, biographical things, social things, limerick, whatever. You know, Frank's case, you know, you have to deal with limerick. They hate him. Um, uh, it's not that they're unimportant, but it all comes from those two questions. I think, if you're a writer, the readerly questions shouldn't matter to us. You know, what's the emotional impact? If there isn't any, put it aside. Go to something that does have emotional impact. But then, question two: How did they do it? How they did it is, you know, how can I do it? That's why we write. Can you think of a third question? That's the only two I can think of. Thank <laughs> you. 
uh, you know, Wordsworth defined poetry as emotion recollected in tranquility. That tranquility is important so that the emotion doesn't become overriding, you know, and inaccurate. You know, I think County Cullen stepped back from that experience uh, and stepped into another emotional state uh, for power, but also for accuracy. You know, to really get this right. So the whole Baltimore, we know where we are. You know, we know what the age is. We know what these things are. There are the kinds of poems that are those passionate outpourings. There is a place for that. You know, um, I'm not saying there isn't. Good point, though. But you can find emotion switching in the classics all over the place. It's all over the Odyssey. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is a little bit off the subject, but do you carry your books at Great um, Lights? Oh, see, now this is a very deep audience. I think it's a very literary question. Thank you for asking me that. Uh, they, I, they have a prayer lights. If they're out of them, I have them here as well. Absolutely. A lot of adolescents try that too. It's very true to adolescents, yeah. 